1: Welcome Giants fans, this is the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio and I'm your host, Ed Valentine, producer and editor of BigBlueView.com. On today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about Kyle Laletta, the rookie quarterback and some of the things that he had to say earlier this week regarding his arrest a week ago in a, a traffic incident in Weehawken. We will also spend a little bit of time talking about new offensive lineman Jamon Brown, uh, both of whom I uh, had a chance to speak with uh, with Kyle and with Jamon this week in the Giants locker room. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, impressions you know, from both of those conversations. We will also speak with Oscar Aparicio of the Better Rivals podcast, which is the podcast for SB Nation's Niners Nation covering the San Francisco 49ers. Obviously, the Giants and 49ers are preparing for a Monday night football contest. So we will talk to Oscar about the 49ers, try to get to know them a little bit better as the two teams uh, head toward a second half of the season that that really is... Uh, is going to be a a battle for the the first overall pick in the two thousand and nineteen NFL draft. first Giants fans, let's talk a little bit about uh, about Kyle loletta. loletta twenty three year old young man had to face the media yesterday, which was uh, as part of his his apology tour basically for the incident that happened when he was arrested in a traffic uh, a traffic incident in Weehawken a little bit more than a week ago, uh, actually found Luletta to be very, very sincere in his apology. Uh, he talked about his family. He talked about disappointing the Giants organization. He talked about how he didn't feel like that was an, an accurate representation of the uh, of himself and his character uh, you know I have spoken with Loletta several times you know going back to before he even became a giant uh, during the the 2018 draft process personally was very surprised by what happened uh, in the traffic stop uh, I found Loletta to be uh, to be very truthful to be as candid as he could be he didn't want to speak about the the particulars of, of the incident. Uh, but he and the Giants are trying to move past this. Coach Pat Shermer said that Lolita will be uh, disciplined internally. There won't be a suspension. So he and the Giants are going to try to move forward. Going to try to uh, to reestablish some trust uh, and see you know where this goes. Perhaps uh, you know everyone would like to see Lolita get on the field eventually. Just. Uh, you know the Giants need to get past this and move forward. Before we uh, before we go any farther, uh, let me play a a, a little bit of uh, of Loletta's interview uh, with the media on Tuesday. First things first, I just want to apologize um, to the Giants organization, all the coaches, all the teammates, you know, the fans, my family. Especially my parents. Uh, you know, that was the incident that happened last week. It was a terrible representation of who I am and what I stand for. And um, you know, I do recognize that yeah, those cops have um, a very difficult job, um, an important job. Is that um, you know I've seen that intersection when there when there are no officers. And, um, you know, it's very chaotic. So you know, I respect those guys. And, you know, you say, you know, sorry okay, that was Loletta apologizing, you know, for uh, you know for what happened uh, during the traffic stop. Uh, as I said, I found him to be very sincere. You know, the question now is what happens with the Giants at quarterback. Obviously, we know that Coach Pat Shermer indicated that Eli Manning will start Monday night against San Francisco. I don't think there's really any other choice. He really did not make any promises, you know beyond Monday uh, as far as you know whether Eli would start for the rest of the season, how many more games he would start, you know when Loletta might play, if, you know, current backup, uh, Alex Tanney might play at some point. I think that uh it, it's really impossible to say right now, you know, when Lata might get on the field. I do think that the Giants will get Kyle Loletta in some game action at some point this season. I would expect that to be more than mop up duty at some point. There's a lot of fear in the Giants fan base that the Giants will go down the same road that they went down a year ago with the Davis Webb situation where Ben McAdoo, Jerry Reese, Steve Spagnolo did not get Davis Webb, you know, then a rookie, third round pick in the in, you know on the field for any game action, you know, leaving themselves without any game film, anything to really judge Loletta by you know when the when new regime of, of Dave Gettleman and Pat Shermer came in uh, and and what i've said previously is look this is a different regime it, these are there's a different gm it's a different head coach i firmly believe that this regime will not make the same mistake i can't predict i have no idea when Loletta might get on the field you know, Pat Shermer indicated that there is a long learning curve for Lalletta because he played at an FCS school a year ago. He's a fourth-round pick. The learning curve's a little bit longer than it might be You know, for a first-round pick like Sam Darnold or Josh Rosen, you know, these guys who played at big-time schools and were first-round picks. So a little bit of patience, Giants fans. I do believe that you will see Kyle Laletta in some game action before the season ends. Uh, But you're just going to have to wait a little bit longer. Before we talk to Oscar Aparicio, let's talk a little bit about new Giants offensive lineman Jamon Brown. Had an opportunity to speak with Jamon Tuesday in the Giants locker room. Found him to be a very upbeat, very pleasant person. Happy to be with the Giants. I think the Giants are very happy to have Brown, who probably looks to slot in at the right guard spot. You know, he was a 16 game starter for the Los Angeles Rams in 2017 in that spot. Shermer indicated that the Giants could possibly even get Brown into the lineup on Monday night against San Francisco, which would be a really, really quick turnaround for an offensive lineman. But I've I've said this before. The Giants, as I look at it, have three open spots on that offensive line heading into 2019. Nate Solders going to be your left tackle. Whether, you know, whether we think that he's underperformed or not, you know, he's he's not, I've said this many times, he's making sixty two million dollars. That contract wasn't overpay. He is an adequate NFL left tackle, and he's going to be there next season. Will Hernandez is going to be your left guard. But I look at that Giants offensive line. I look at center. I look at right guard. I look at right tackle, and I see three positions where the Giants need upgrades. If Jamon Brown can come in here over the final eight games and show the Giants that he can be part of the solution, that he can hold down the right guard position. That's absolutely huge because it solves one problem for the Giants, you know, heading into 2019. It gives them, you know, an extra piece, you know, that they don't have to spend part of their offseason trying to fill. So I'm looking forward to seeing what Brown can do. I'm optimistic that he'll be an upgrade and that he can help the Giants going forward. All right, Giants fans, let's uh, let's switch gears here. Let's bring in our guest for today. That would be Oscar Aparicio, host of the Better Rivals podcast. We'll spend some time talking with Oscar regarding uh, Monday night's game against the 49ers. Okay, Giants fans, I'm joined now by Oscar Aparicio of the Better Rivals podcast for SB Nation's Niners Nation. Oscar, thank you very much for taking a few minutes to join me today. Absolutely, it's my pleasure. Hey, so uh, you know, we we have a Monday night football game coming up, Giants 49ers. I mean, l- let's be honest. Could you could you think of a matchup that the rest of the country could care less about for a Monday night game? I don't know, man. I think
2: Derek Carr, C.J. Beathard, rivals that primetime matchup. And and at this point, Nick Mullins at least has a bit of a story behind him. So it's look, it's going to be a barn burner either way, my friend. We're we're gonna the, the winner. The winner gets closer to Bosa. Uh, the loser, well, I'm not sure that they win anything uh, other than maybe some temporary bragging rights, but. Uh, I'll still be watching the game because you know that they, they call it fanaticism for a reason so I'll still be dialed in and, and I have a feeling you will too
1: hey well Eli Manning wins at least one more start if the Giants win so so there's that whether, whether Giants fans care about that or feel good about that or not you know I think he wins oh. at least one more start
2: is that the horse he's gonna ride out on that he's just beating Nick Mullins third string quarterback undrafted free agent that's his capstone
1: <laughs> probably could be who knows <laughs> Hey so, so let let me ask you this Oscar let, let let me actually start with this and this is kind of a kind of a thing that I've been thinking about when I think about the 49ers and I think about the Giants there's so much negativity around the Giants right now everything is negative everything is Eli Manning has to go he has to be replaced but they don't really have a replacement you know, and, and and everything is everything is bad because the Giants are four and four and twenty, I think, in their last twenty four games. And I look at the Forty ers and the Forty ers are two and seven. The Forty ers are bad, but from the outside, it doesn't seem like there's all that negativity around the Forty ers It seems like a more positive, just seems like a better atmosphere. Am I misreading that, or or am I right about that? No, you're absolutely
2: right. I think a big part of that has to do with two things. One, expectation, and two, a quarterback. I think the expectation, and and Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have both done, I think, a phenomenal job of setting the expectations fairly low. And they've been transparent about the fact that this is going to be a multi-year rebuild for the 49ers, and what that does is that dampens expectations by not going and making splash moves like getting a, you know, a, a, a high-priced quarterback in their first year of rebuild. They went with uh, with Brian Hoyer. That begins to set the standard. Okay, you need a bridge quarterback. This is clearly a bridge year. And then when Garoppolo fell in their lap, all of a sudden they had that huge turnaround, and and now they've been robbed of having that quarterback for the year two of that rebuild. So. I think both the ambiguity of knowing you have a a quality quarterback or someone who could be a quality quarterback combined with expectations being set low combined with the fact that with this kind of ragtag group of offensive players they've done they've done some successful things I mean you're talking about an undrafted quarterback you're talking about C.J. Beathard, who's not been good at football, an undrafted free agent at running back in terms of Matt Breida, a fifth round tight end in terms of George Kittle, who's now playing at an all pro level, now, a group of wide receivers. It's not really scaring anyone. And yet they're still able to put up some points. And and it, again, they're not you know they're not going to blow anyone out unless you're the Raiders. But I think you put all those things together and that definitely has a more positive outlook than than a lot of other teams in the league.
1: I think that's a really interesting point because I think that whether Dave Gettleman, the Giants' GM, and Pat Shermer, the new head coach, whether they wanted to do it or not, you know, coming off of a three and thirteen season, I think that by by committing to Eli Manning, by drafting Saquon Barkley, you know, by not using a, a draft choice on a quarterback until the fourth round, I think that whether they intended to set the expectation of being all in and making a playoff run, you know, in the short term or not, I think that's what happened. And I think that for me is a big part of why there's, there's just so much negativity around the giants right now. I think you're exactly right. I
2: mean, I look at that Saquon Barkley pick and, and I think hands down, it was one of the worst picks that they could have made. Not that Saquon Barkley is not a good player, but you're, you're picking, at that point, a luxury pick. You, you are picking a player that you can get similar production much later in the draft, right? Why, why draft the Saquon Barkley when you can get an Alvin Kamara in the third round or, or a Matt Breida undrafted? And, and I think that you're absolutely right. The, the decisions they make set the expectations. And, and I think that by drafting a, a running back and not drafting a quarterback, uh, implicitly what they're saying is we think we can win with Eli Manning and we think we can win with Odell, and all we need is another offensive weapon, and it's going to get us over the edge.
1: It is just so difficult to be in that position of looking at, at Saquon Barkley and, and, and looking at how wonderful of a player he is and and yet saying that, that in the long run he could still wind up being the wrong pick. I mean, the Giants can still make it right. They can still make it work in the long run if they get the quarterback situation correct in the long run, you know, but they, but they've made it, they still have that question to answer. So it's, he's a wonderful, wonderful player, but until they get that quarterback situation squared away, they'll just never be able to use him and use Beckham and maximize, you know, the, the players on the outside that they have.
2: I think you're exactly right you know Saquon Barkley can be one of the best players at his position and still unfortunately play a a relatively invaluable position in a position where you can find talent lots of places I mean the Niners are out there trotting out Raheem Mostert who was you know a special teams player and a special teams gunner and he's ripping off seven eight yard runs uh, and he was picked up off the scrap heap uh, a couple years ago I think with with Chip Kelly if, if I'm remembering correctly. So, you know, it's just one of those things where you've got to make sure that you put your you put your chips and you put them all in at the right time. And I think it was probably it probably would have been a good time to go all in on a quarterback. And even if you have him sit for a year and then come in in year two, that would have been a much better play. uh, Treating him like Pat Mahomes than thinking you can draft a a running back and, and have that win you games.
1: Oh, Oscar. Let's uh, let's let's move away from from the Barkley topic for a second here, and let's talk about uh, let's talk about the 49ers quarterback situation. Let's talk about Nick Mullins. You know, wonderful, wonderful story. You know, going in against the Raiders, I think if I am not mistaken, Mullins spent last year on the practice squad. You know, the, that's the, right. The game against the Raiders was his his NFL debut. I mean are and obviously you know that's that's kind of a fairy tale story but are we looking at a kid who who had his moment in the sun and now he's going to turn into Nathan Peterman or is, is this a kid who can actually play a little bit and might have a future in the league
2: I would say that we'll find out a little bit more after he plays the Giants Because I I think you're right. It is a fantastic story. This is someone who was not invited to the Combine. He did not get any pre-draft visits. There was only one team that actually gave him a pre-draft visit, and that was the San Francisco 49ers. And so when when it came time to the post-draft, undrafted free agent, kind of free-for-all, there were lots of teams that contacted him, and he knew right away he was going to go with the 49ers because they had shown interest in him, and so he was going to show interest right back. And he spent all year on the practice squad. He comes in. And, and he's prepared very, very well. Now, they played an Oakland Raiders team that is just not playing good football. The team looks like they've completely given up on John Gruden. So I think you have to contextualize his performance in that, in that regard. But he did do things that you would expect from an an NFL quarterback. He was able to hit open receivers. He was able to read blitzes and throw to the hot receiver. And that's not something that you always get with NFL quarterbacks. You mentioned Nathan Biederman. He's not doing that. Uh, And C.J. Beathard at times wasn't doing that either. But he was not pressured at all against the Raiders. He was only under pressure for about three snaps. Uh, And he was only blitzed six times. Now, he performed really well against the Blitz. Um, He completed four of six passes for like 14.2 yards uh, and had an NFL quarterback rating in the uh, like upper 140s, if I remember correctly. So I think that's important because, especially going up against the Giants' defense that is known to pressure, you're pressuring at a, a rate above NFL average. I think it's somewhere near 34, 36 percent. And Betcher loves to pressure quarterbacks. I think we're going to learn a little bit more about Nick Mullins against the Giants.
1: It's interesting that you mentioned pressure because the Giants' defense might they might get pressure. But they don't get home a lot, so I think you know yeah. they're down near the bottom of the league in in actual sack rate. Ten total sacks, uh,
2: which puts you, I think, thirty first in the league, and right. and your, your blitz percentage is thirty two percent, sending five or more. NFL average is twenty six point nine.
1: Yeah, I, I'm glad you had those numbers in front of you. I didn't have them, but uh, you know, but it it it's that kind of a deal where it's it's nice to create some pressure. It would be nice if you if you actually got home a little bit more often. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm hoping, you know, you have to hope that that some of that pressure turns into actually making plays if you're, uh, you know, if you're looking at it from a Giants perspective. I mean, let, let me ask you this when you when you when we talk about that. Um, are we looking at a San Francisco team that the Giants should be able to create some pressure against, you know, where they should be able to get home, you know, and, and, and sort of wreak some havoc in the backfield? You know that that's a good question. I, I would say, and I think to answer that
2: question, I'd love to know a little bit more about what's going on with the Giants because by by the looks of it, it looks like your defensive line is actually pretty good against the run, maybe not necessarily against the pass. And Betcher's not a bad defensive coordinator. I mean, he had a couple of really good years in Arizona, and and so I, I don't know that it's a it's a case of like bad defensive coordinator. It, is the issue with the Giants that they're just kind of lacking talent, or is Betcher not able to maximize the pieces that he's got because Olivier Vernon's a pretty good piece, but but I wonder if it's a talent issue or if it's a scheme issue or if it's a bit of both
1: Well, I think that that if you look at the Giants, you have to look at it you know through the lens of looking specifically at Olivier Vernon Vernon entering the season, I think everybody knew he was their best pass rusher he was the guy who had to produce if the giants were going to have a quality pass rush and he missed the first 5 games so that sort of skewed everything the giants had bj hill they had dalvin tomlinson before they traded him to detroit they had damon harrison you know along their front line and all of those guys are really good run defenders but not dynamic pass rushers. Vernon was the only guy that they have who really commands a double team. I think if I lo- I looked at the stats the other day and I think that he's only played in three games, but he is, I believe, already tied, you know, for the team lead in, in pressures, in quarterback hits. So, you know, in in less than half of the games, y- you see his impact. He's the only guy they have who commands a double team. So the picture changes a little bit with him on the field. So it's kind of the, the overall numbers, I think, are skewed by the fact that he's only played in three games.
2: Yeah, and I think when it comes to the 49ers allowing pressure, I think that they are probably average or below average in terms of protecting the quarterback. I think you look at the left tackle position, and Joe Staley is a stalwart at left tackle. He's performing really, really well this season. And Mike McGlinchey is also performing really well, but he does have lapses in pass protection. He's a much better run blocker than he is a pass blocker. But if there is a weakness on the offensive line, unfortunately, it's really at center. Uh, This is someone you're probably familiar with as a Giants fan, Weston Richburg. He was a big free agent signing for the 49ers. And so far this season, he's not performed in the way that you would expect for the kind of marquee signing that that I think we were getting. I, I thought... Honestly, we were getting a little bit of value with Richburg because when he was not injured, he was playing at a very, very high level. And so I thought maybe okay, he just he was injured, and that's why he wasn't playing well the last the kind of year and some change that he was with New York. But he, he's not performed super duper well. And so I think if there's a weakness and a weak spot on the offensive line, it's going to be along the interior, uh, and it's going to be probably attacking Weston Richburg, and and that's the weak part of the line. But I don't know that you could say that the the unequivocally the the Giants should get pressure but at the same time I wouldn't be surprised if they did especially with the player as talented as Olivier Vernon because when you look at other players that were that were talented or very very good at rushing the passer you, you think of what Aaron Donald did along the interior and he just destroyed the 49ers so if I'm I would not be surprised if the Giants got pressure I would also not be surprised if the tackles were able to stonewall
1: Vernon since you mentioned, you know, Weston Richburg, I mean there was a lot there has been a lot of gnashing of teeth with the Giants over their own rebuild of the offensive line, which which really hasn't gone incredibly well. Um obviously, you know, Richburg is one of the pieces that they let go. They simply didn't want to pay the kind of premium, the kind of contract that the 49ers gave to Richburg. And obviously, he's in his first year, and, and and you said he's been struggling. Is there a feeling you know, in, in San Francisco that, that Richburg was a mistake?
2: I, I don't think it's that he was a mistake, no, because he is an upgrade over uh, Daniel Kilgore, who was the center that we had prior to Weston Richburg. So at the point at which he's an upgrade, and he's a better pass blocker so far this season, a little bit better pass blocker than he is a run blocker. Um, I, and he is incredibly mobile and he's able to get a couple of reach blocks that I don't know that Kilgore would have been able to get. And he's good on the move. He's good at kind of targeting players on the move as well. I would say overall he's playing, you know, on his good games, he's playing a little above average on his worst games. He's playing a little below average, but he hangs out in that average area. Um, you know, when you look at some of the players, that the giants are are trotting out at center, Um, I would say that, you know, they're they're probably about the same and performing in about the same area, you know, above or below average, depending. Uh, And so, you know, I think that you probably made the right move to not pay him a ton of money if you can get someone to perform at that average level on a much cheaper contract. Because who's who's your starting center right now? Is it John Greco or is it someone else
1: at the moment? It would be uh, Stephen Pulley, former uh, L.A. Charger center Greco started, I think, uh, five games after John Jalapio was injured, uh, and then Greco got moved to right guard and-, and Pulley got inserted into the lineup. So Pulley's been in the lineup the last two games.
2: Yeah, I think once you start once you start getting rid of of players like Eric Flowers and you start reshuffling things, I think you start having to put a different filter on on the team, but. I think overall it's probably a wash, and I would say you probably made the right decision to not pay that money if you can get similar production from someone that you're not paying a whole lot of money to.
1: So let me ask you this. In in the game we saw the other night against the Raiders, I think the final score of that game was 34-3 if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yep. It was was one of the Niners' highest offensive outputs in the Kyle Shanahan era, actually tied, I think, for third or fourth most points they've scored under Kyle Shanahan.
1: So the Giants are averaging 18.8 points per game. Obviously struggling Ooh, on fire. Oh yeah, struggling and, and and the the scary part of that is is roughly half of that, just about 9 points out of that is coming in the fourth quarter. It's sort of coming in garbage time. You know, it, it if the Giants are actually going to look like a representative offensive football team are there areas are there things that they can do you know against the 49ers are there things they can take advantage of in, in that against that defense
2: So against the defense the, the absolute weakest part of the 49ers team right now are their coverage defenders not named Richard Sherman. When when you look at the games that they lose, it is games where the other side of the 49ers defense is targeted early and often. And really, the Niners have made some curious decisions rotating cornerbacks, but it seems like they've settled on a starting duo of Akella Witherspoon, who's a second year player who's who showed some promises rookie year, but has taken a bit of a step back in year two. Uh, and then Sherman on the other side, who has done what Richard Sherman is expected to do, which is kind of hold down his other side of the field. And while Sherman is certainly not playing back at his all pro level, he is playing pretty good football. He is the best cornerback on the team uh, and he's performing as such. So I think it, one of the matchups that will be interesting will be Odell Beckham and how the Giants move him around because if I were the Giants, I would not line Odell Beckham up over Richard Sherman, not because I think Richard Sherman is great and can lock him down because I think Beckham can you know kind of put anyone in the spin cycle. But why go to the most the, the best coverage defender on the team when you can target the weakest. And I think that's, if I were uh, Pat Shermer and I were the, and I were running that offense, I'd say, Odell Beckham, go up against the Keller Witherspoon. Show me what you got. And, and I think that that's the one thing that, that could really, really debilitate the 49ers pretty early. And alternatively, I think you look at their deep safety. You've got Jimmy Ward who's playing deep safety. He's playing safety only because the starting free safety was injured. And, so And he's, I mean, it's debatable whether or not he's as good as a starter, but I could see Odell Beckham uh, getting both deep shots as well as underneath plays and really shredding the 49ers because that's one area where they're just not very good.
1: Oscar, before I let you go, give me a quick prediction. Are the Giants going to... Uh going to actually go into San Francisco and come out with a win or are they going to go into San Francisco and come out you know threatening to steal the number one pick in the draft away from the Raiders
2: man uh, you know I really think that this game is going to come down to pressure uh, and I think it's going to come down to to turnovers I think if the 49ers can generate pressure on Eli Manning and make him uncomfortable in the pocket then they're going to have a leg up and, and the, the Niners' pass rushers are not anything to be really worried about. I mean, you've got Cassius Marsh, who's a scrap heat pass rusher. And, and that's about it. You've got DeForest Buckner on the inside. And Dakota Watson, I think, if, if you're looking to watch someone, he just came back from injury. And he could be the wild card in, in getting some pressure on Eli Manning. But if the Niners can get pressure, I think the Niners end up winning this game. Uh, and likewise, if Betcher can't manufacture pressure on Mullins, I think the Niners win this game. I think even if he does... I think Kyle Shanahan is a a good enough coach at this point to be able to take advantage of some of what the Giants are doing. So I think it's going to be close. I think the spread is somewhere near three points. Um, But I do think the Niners eke out a win uh, by a field goal, maybe not more. Uh, But I think the Niners end up do winning at home.
1: All right, Oscar. Hey, I really appreciate your taking some time. It's a Better Rivals podcast. And uh, Giants fans, if you're uh, looking for some some extra 49ers information, please check it out. Oscar, uh, hopefully we'll do this again sometime. Absolutely, man. Would love to. Thanks for having me on. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Our thanks to Oscar Aparicio for spending a few minutes and dropping some 49ers knowledge on us. Uh, Giants fans, we thank you for listening. I wanted to remind you that uh, Valentine's Views is one of two shows here on Big Blue View Radio. Dan Pizzuta and Chris Flum are hosting a twice-weekly show. Up to this point, they've done a preview and a review of Giants games beginning this week with the addition of the Valentine's Views shows. Their second show each week is going to be an NFL draft centric show please make sure that you give that a listen the uh, the first draft related episode of uh, of Dan and Chris's show should drop on Friday we we hope that you will uh, that you will give that a listen we also hope that you will subscribe to the big blue view podcasts which you should be able to find on all of your favorite podcasting applications make sure you check out big blue view at big blue view on twitter check out our website at bigblueview.com if you haven't done that already Uh, follow us on instagram at big underscore blue underscore view check out our facebook page and uh, giants fans we'll talk to you soon bye bye now